finding your voice as a field recordist is totally possible. I mean, that's amazing to me that you can pick out artists by just listening to field recordings, but I think that is the goal. There's always the, the perception of the recordists. It's going to be part of it, you know? It's like photography. It's an art form because of the perception of the artist. But that can be hard to do if you're just, like, following all the rules. Welcome to Wind is the Original Radio, a podcast where on Tuesdays we have conversations with the best nature listeners in the world. We talk about their work and philosophy, as well as learnings from nature they share with us from their own experience. On Fridays, we publish long-format immersive nature soundscapes for contemplation and to help you relax. I'm Elisa, I'm hosting and creating this podcast for Earth FM. Today's guest is Darcy Spidel, a musician, screenwriter, actor and field recordist from Canada. And now on to our conversation. My name is Darcy Spidel. I also uh, work under the name Chick White, so I, I sort of have these two identities. I, I'm, uh, I'm a field recordist at times, a musician. I mostly play jaw harp, but I play other instruments as well. I'm an actor, occasional actor, a screenwriter. Yeah, and a surfer and a dad, and, and uh, yeah, I guess that's who I am in, in a way. <laughs> But yeah, it all, it all does kind of go together for me in a strange way. I think I approach field recording from the perspective of a musician or a performer. And, and you know, I, I think of the field recordings as, as um, sort of compositions in a way. They have structure and rhythm and there's a narrative. Like I look for that when I record. When I got into nature recording, I was um, I was running an experimental music festival in the city, and so I was really into sort of noise music and, and free improvisation and, and those types of things. And and when I started listening to the ocean in particular at high volume, I, I I was hearing like noise music and free jazz and all this stuff just in the rhythms of of the sea, you know.
So there is that connection for sure. And, and you know, the first nature recordings that I did, it was always with, with music. So I, I moved to the country probably uh, 15 years ago now to the, the eastern shore. So I live across from a salt flat. You know, the beach is just two minutes down the road. So I spent a lot of time hiking and I take jaw harps with me. And so my first recordings were just uh, like a Zoom recorder and me playing jaw harp. Eventually, I just took away the jaw harp and would record the ocean and kind of went from there. So that connection's pretty strong, even on, on a conceptual level, just the way the rhythms of the ocean work and all that stuff sort of worked its way into my music. So I guess that's the connection. They all are related, but I'm also not very good at multitasking. So I tend to sort of like focus on one discipline at a time, whatever the project is, you know. But yeah, they definitely bleed into each other quite a bit. I think that being able to focus deeply and create something meaningful, let's say, it's opposite to multitasking. But we, of course, drink from many sources, right? I don't know if it happens to you to even have ideas that uh, are derived from dreams or, you know, sometimes seemingly just completely spontaneous and that is, you know, clearly showing that it's time to create. That's an amazing thing. I mean, it happens to me as well. An idea just drops into my head and it's not my doing, you know, like I, I just feel their gifts. There's this David Lynch book I read when I was on tour once. Someone had it at their house and he's talking about like, you're just catching fish. I think is how he describes ideas, you know, and, and that, you know, it's this gift that you get. And uh, I feel grateful that they arrive, you know, and you know, have to act on these ideas. That's the, that's the responsibility of the artist, I think. If you get this download from the universe or whatever, you know, you have to do something with it. It's interesting you say dreams because, you know, I, I do get a lot of ideas from dreams, but you have to write it down and you have to follow through. <laughs> it's a big part of the process. Yeah, I also have a notebook of dreams because of their ephemeral nature or maybe just my poor short-term memory. Mm. And it's interesting because not only I can create based on dreams, as a lot of creation already exists in them with all kinds of music and crazy imagery and stories. And it's, it's beyond me, actually. And this I actually connect with flow and with your work, especially the performative part. Mm -hmm. I feel that you are in the flow a lot, or perhaps exclusively. And I want to quote from your essay, Trauma of My Mouth. When I'm lost with a harp, when time has yielded to that metallic voice reverberating inside my skull, I fully believe in the jaw harp's exceptional powers. Yeah, I think it's definitely flow. I mean, when I'm playing music, you know, that's the most flow I ever get into, I'd say. Time does disappear. My mind starts doing, making these strange relationships. Like I kind of like hear colors and a lot of things happen, but I've lost a sense of myself when I'm playing music, you know, I just sort of become the music. That's my philosophy in general. I mean, I consider myself like a free improviser in music and that that's sort of my approach to music. And I, it's a life philosophy in a way that kind of like 
just going with the flow, you know, like whatever happens, you go in that direction. And that's how I, I kind of approach all, all my art. But, uh, you know, I think when I'm recording, I'm a lot more analytical in a way. I'm listening very actively. I like to be close to my microphones and close to the source of the sound. And I, I try to, like, not breathe too much and not move. And, and it's almost like I'm witnessing a performance. And I find it's, it's also a very intense experience. But um, yeah, I'm sort of outside it in a strange way. Whereas with music, I'm sort of inside it. What about listening back to your own field recordings? It seems that how blissful the process of nature recording can appear to be. There is always the weight of responsibility of getting a good recording. But on the other hand, being out in nature and not recording, then yes, the door is open for a more mindful experience, if I can use that word here. Maybe listening back, like when I listen to my own recordings, I, I blast them, you know, like, and that's more of a sort of meditative flow state type experience. But when I'm recording, I feel like I'm, I'm actively involved in some weird way, analyzing everything. And it's not that I worry when I record. I really enjoy recording. Like, it's a great experience. And sometimes when it sounds great in the headphones, like, yeah, that's the best. But uh When I listen back, that's sort of a different experience. The field recordings are, are kind of meditations for me. I think of like long form recordings as a way to meditate, you know, so I'll listen to my own recordings to sort of get into a meditative state. But music's a little more active, you know, it's like your whole body's involved and your breath's involved. For me, breathing's a big part of it and uh, it's very physiological in a way. It's an enjoyable experience, but it's very different than, than playing music for me. I've noticed from you a lot of exploration of recording techniques, but in a way that allows you to discover different ways of listening or producing sound. I don't want to turn this conversation to gear specifically, but it's fascinating to me how its utilization allows us to produce unique things and it involves a lot of our skills. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of experimenting with music. So when I started recording sort of vocals and jaw harp, I would, you know, I would mic my throat. I'd put microphones in my mouth. then for field recording, when I kind of got some proper gear, I was really big on sort of doing it right, you know, like <laughs> I wanted sort of perfect recordings in a way. And, and uh, I've kind of moved away from that. Like in my most recent thing, I just like dangled a microphone into a chimney or, you know. Thank you. 
I, I experiment. Nothing's like super innovative, but for recording waves, I like to clip microphones in trees during windstorms, that kind of thing. I tried some different mic setups. You know, I don't know how experimental it is, but uh, but yeah, whatever sounds right. You know, I, I think it's about listening and, and just finding sort of the placement of microphones and the perfect location to record. Yeah, I work hard on that, that type of thing, but I'm not like a super innovative field recorder in any way, I don't think. I try to listen carefully, you know, and I try to understand. I record the same spots a lot too, so so I get a sense of like where things sound good where there are dynamic noises to capture. Um, I don't like that word capture, but you know, um, but I, I, now I don't really even consider myself like an experimenter. I see myself more as like an improviser, I guess. I think experimental does kind of get overused somewhat, you know, like uh, <laughs> I don't know how much work out there is truly experimental, but it's a, you know, it's a convenient sort of genre name and I think this is a way to build an identity as an artist besides what one likes to record. It's also how the means are used. There are a few field recorders that I think have such specific work to them that I know who they are when I listen to their work because there is a specific sonority and aesthetic sense And these two people I'm thinking of are also photographers or have been primarily photographers and came to sound later on. Oh, interesting. I see a big connection between those two disciplines. They're both about sort of perceiving, you know. You know when photography first came out, people thought, oh, you know, it's not even art. Like photography wasn't even considered art at first because you're just capturing what's there, right? That was the concept. And I think people think the same way about field recording. You're just capturing what's there. But it's all about what you perceive to be the important elements of, of the subject, you know? And um, I see photography and field recording very similar in, in that regard. Yeah, I think like finding your voice as a field recordist is totally possible. I mean, that's amazing to me that you can pick out artists by just listening to field recordings, but I think that is the goal. There's always the, the perception of the recordists. It's going to be part of it, you know? It's like photography. It's an art form because of the perception of the artist. But that can be hard to do if you're just like, 
following all the rules, you know. <laughs> so speaking of art forms, I wanted to ask you how much of the sound world do you imagine when you write? Quite a bit. I mean, I, I mostly write with um, a director, Seth Smith, who who makes the movies in the end, and he does the sound design for the movies. So we sort of direct on the page a lot and write all the sound in, you know, like we'll capitalize all the sounds in our scripts. So when you look at a page, it's just it's like a lot of capitalized words because uh, I think a good screenwriter can can see a film as they write it. For me, I, I can totally hear it as well, and, and sound is a big part of it. So I do include a lot of sound. There'll be a lot of waves in the scripts, and you know, there's all these things I do and the other sort of disciplines find their way onto the uh, screenplay for sure. But I get away with it because the guy I work with is the director. I, I think it's generally frowned upon to go too heavy with the uh, sounds and directorial notes in the script, but it's how I've always always written. It's really just a manual for a creative team of people to come up with their own interpretation. So, you know, if I write about a costume, I like to write it in a way that I think the costume person would be really excited about and be able to sort of jump off from there, you know. And same with sounds, you know, like put some interesting ideas in there and have someone run with it. It's kind of how I approach a script. I wonder how much of a multidisciplinary approach could offer benefits to script writing and... I'd also like to think that we can also become more imaginative beyond the notes for ambiences saying crickets or sounds of waves. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and speaking about water, I'd like to talk about your album Atlantic Ocean Recordings 2020. It was the first album of your field recording work that I listened and surely impressed me. And my first question is, why water? And then I'll ask you to talk a little about your evolving relationship with water. I grew up around the ocean. I grew up on the south shore of Nova Scotia. And as soon as I, I was allowed to leave the house, I would take off to this place called Fort Point in Liverpool is where I, I grew up. And I just hiked the coast. Sometimes like I'd leave in the morning and just come back after supper. I can't believe my parents, you know, I'd be climbing sea cliffs and stuff. It was really crazy. So, I mean, it's it's always been there. Then I, I moved out here to the coast 15 years ago and started surfing. And I'm just, I'm just so immersed in the ocean. It's uh, I like walk the beach every single day, you know, just to listen to it. And uh, so I, I don't know, there's like an intensity to the ocean. I think there's a primal connection, you know, I mean, it's where we come from. I love the dynamics of the ocean one day it's just glassy super calm and it just feels so peaceful and then a week later there's like 20 foot waves washing across the road and a deafening roar you know it, it has all those things and it's i just feel really really connected to it and, and from a sonic perspective it's just a very interesting medium You talk about insights. I think the idea of, of the ocean's rhythm is, has really had a big effect on me. You know, um, when a lot of people think of the ocean, you know, they think of its like perfect metronome or something when it's totally not. And it, it's different every day. And uh, I just started really connecting with the rhythms of the ocean. They're not human rhythms at, at all. They're just more like a pulse and an energy. And I, and I try to like 
carry that into my own music. I just kind of abandon like conventional rhythm and think about how the ocean works rhythmically. And that's had a really big effect on me, sort of like philosophically and artistically. <laughs> it's hard to articulate, I guess, but uh, just when you listen to it enough, you just realize how complex it is. Yeah, that's had a big impact on me. Yeah, you know, spiritually, I don't know, it's probably like a hokey thing to say, but you know, you just it just puts the human life into perspective in a sense, right? It's like the way people feel around mountains, I guess. You just feel that your life is kind of small, you know, and that your time on earth is short and all those all those things, you know, they come to me when I'm when I'm around the ocean. So, I mean, I think that's why I my recordings sort of have a intensity about them, you know, like I'm trying to capture that that sense, I think, with what I'm doing. Regarding the rhythm of the ocean, I recall reading some time ago already on um, Maurice uh, Tuning of the World about the shore breakers producing an average cycle of eight seconds. If I remember correctly, he was also linking that uh, a reason for our sensation of well-being while we are near the shore was connected to that because a very relaxed breathing rhythm corresponds to that eight-second timing. And there are actually some recommended breathing exercises specifically for the vagus nerve in which the exhalation lasts eight seconds. And now talking about all this and your album, I'm kind of piecing together in my mind how other time intervals specifically may affect our emotions or our nervous system in different ways. Technically with recording that I would talk about is just knowing the oceans. You know, I'll look at like surf reports, you know, which will tell you like sort of the swell period. Like so waves do come in in different periods. Sometimes they're eight seconds. Sometimes they're 14 seconds. Sometimes there's hardly any period, you know, so you'll get a different rhythm from the ocean every day, depending on what the swell is like that day or the wind. Um, all those things really factor in. I would imagine eight seconds is probably an average as far as like s swell duration, maybe. But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, it's uh, all these nature sounds are definitely part of us, you know, like they're just, we're made of them. And uh, I do find that very interesting. And maybe that's why it's calming. I remember when I moved here, for example, uh, I was living in the city. I had a lot of anxiety, you know, and I moved out here in front of this salt marsh, which is a tidal marsh. So the, the tide comes in and out a few times a day. And it just like, it slowed everything down in, in my body and in my mind, you know, and I connect it with the, just the change of the tide, which was sort of the right speed for me. I felt it the day I moved in here, you know, just just like something happening in my body where like I slowed down and connected with the the tide table. And I think that like all nature sounds have that some effect on on the human body on a very physical level for sure. From your field recording work, not only but more specifically, I really feel that you bring out the kind of oppressive and ruthless part of nature. And I bring this sometimes also with other guests because I think that commercially, many times there's the um, idea of creating content about nature and here, particularly nature sounds, that nature is just, you know, beautiful bird song and some nice insects. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. 
even thunderstorms, a lot of people love to listen to them to, to sleep, which is interesting because other people are really terrified of them. Mm -hmm. But um, what would you have to say about the sensation of certain sounds that occur in nature can feel very oppressive? Out here, we get like tropical storms and hurricanes. And uh, I live in a very like exposed, there's like two kilometers of, of marsh in front of my house. So this host just sounds like it's going to rip out of the ground when some of those storms come through. I love it. And I've recorded it a lot. Um, but so I, I know what you're saying. I, yeah, there's a violence to nature. I mean, that's the thing that like, people think, yeah, sometimes it's peaceful and relaxing. And other times it could kill you. And I think that's part of the, the allure uh, of, of nature for me. I like that side of it in my recordings, I guess. You probably hear that. Yeah, that's why I like listening at loud volumes. I, it's interesting, I was reading on your uh, one of your recordings about listening at low volume. Um, and I was like, oh, I, it's like, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong because I always <laughs> tell people to like blast it. You know? But uh, yeah, different effects, right? Yeah, my idea with that is to really take in the, you know, the high dynamics that can occur in nature recordings and also to safeguard people's ears because sometimes it can be very quiet and then you have no control. Even a close twig breaking can be can be very loud. But yeah, yeah I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit of a purist, but um, one thing that I really try all the time is not to use compression <laughs> on the recordings. But, uh, but yeah, it's true. I do. I do say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I, I try not to use any compressor. I'll put like a limiter on it just for like the very highest peak. But but I, I agree. I like the dynamics, you know. Um, I like it to be very quiet at times and then just explode at other times. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a cheat. I, I like to put mics close to my source and then turn it up and, and hear things that I, I can't really hear with my naked ears. <laughs> I do enjoy that. I mean, I think of the same with music, with jaw harps. Like, I like close miking, you know, because it's, you know, you're finding new sounds that just were never there when people didn't have good microphones or low noise floors, <laughs> you know, so I like to explore those things.
it's wonderful to open up possibilities and have this curiosity about listening and just getting to know more things with whatever tools we have available. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of a talk that I listened to years ago in which an anthropologist focused on art pointed out that from the moment that x-rays started to be more available, um, it was like a door is open in the art world as well because now we had revealed sort of another layer or another way of seeing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Perhaps with dreams, it's very similar, going back to the topic of dreams for a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I can lucid dream a little bit, you know. Um, is it the uh, hypnagogic state? Is that the one where you wake up and you kind of fall back asleep? So when I go into that state, I'll, I can like, I drop like a page from a script and work on it or uh, think about a recording and kind of mix it and play with ideas. Like I, I've been able to do that when I'm really working on it, you know. So if I have like a dream journal beside the bed, you know, like I'll wake up and write that stuff down right away. And, and when I'm doing that every day, like I can get in, I can really use my dreams to uh, get some work done to the point where I'll like sleep in extra hours and call it work, you know, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just to rationalize sleeping in maybe, but, uh, you know, I've had some great ideas and dreams that, that have ended up in movies and, and on albums. And uh, I think it's wonderful. And like you said, I, it's a matter of like what you put in before you go to sleep, you know, like uh, if I'm just consuming like junk media on YouTube, then my dreams are maybe not that exciting, but you know, if I'm watching films and listening to music, all those things will sort of mingle in my dreams and then maybe, uh, new ideas will come from that. Um, yeah, it's what, whatever I'm absorbed in at the time will work its way into my dreams. Then I can play with it if I'm, if I can do some lucid dreaming. Yeah, it's always been a part of it. I've always been a little ashamed to admit it because I, do you ever watch The Office? <laughs> it's uh, the sitcom The Office. There's, there, there's this, there, I, this is the dumb thing. There's a scene in the show where Pam goes out for uh, a date with this cartoonist and he tells her that uh, he gets his ideas from dreams and uh, she just rolls her eyes at him. <laughs> Ever since I saw that scene, I was like, oh, it's like, I shouldn't tell anyone that I use my dreams for ideas. But uh, yeah, I totally do. And uh, sometimes naps are good too. It's those short sleeps that can really uh, help you, you know?
whatever I do that day ends up in there. It's like the day you have before you go to sleep is sort of like the ingredients you put together for a meal, you know? So if, if I do spend the day in the woods or hiking the coast, or surfing's a big one. When I go surfing, I always dream about surfing. That's what I mean about, you know, if I'm just watching like dumb videos on YouTube or something, my dreams will be that, you know? <laughs> but if I, if I do something that's a little more elevated, like uh, going for a walk by the ocean that evening, my dreams will be more associated with uh, that experience. It's not a perfect science, but I find that's how it works. What goes in is what comes out, you know? It's, uh, so I try to follow that, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Okay, this is now one of my favorite uh, topics that I really love to discuss and that is if you are either comfortable in the darkness, do you like to be in it, do you record at night in the dark? Well, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the dark, I was, I was thinking about that, like yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I've, I've done some camping and things like that, I, I get a little nervous in the dark to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Like, I, I don't like going into the woods at night. Um, yeah, the, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, a, a, bit of a, a bit of an anxious person. I mean, I've had some really nice walks on the beach at night, that type of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time in the dark, in the wild. And maybe I should. Maybe that's something I should do. Um, I'm sure there's some great opportunities to uh, record in the dark. But uh, I haven't really done a lot of it, to be honest. Maybe it is just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a nervous guy. I, I don't know. <laughs> Your ears do become a, a much more important uh, sense, you know, where you can't see anything. Yeah, you really tune into the, uh, the sounds in your environment. You know, I write horror movies too, right? So it's like uh, I, my, my imagination can get away from me when I'm in the dark. Do you have any listening practices that you adhere to like part of your routine or something that you can consider also as a listening exercise i don't really listen to a lot of music like recorded music or albums not so much anymore i used to do a, a lot of that but yeah like a walk every day and i listen i play music pretty much every day and to me that's really an act of listening as well and i you know i just I won't say silence, but I like to just listen to my environment, you know, like I find that everything is sort of a composition around me, you know, like the dog breathing and, and like the fridge humming and all those things. That's kind of like the music. And uh, sometimes I can be very, you know, it, I can hyper focus on it too much and it kind of drives me a little, little crazy. But yeah, I would say listening is a very important part of my day, you know. And it's a, a certain kind of meditation, especially the walking. I walk every day, you know, in the woods or, or uh along the coast and that's all about listening you know and do you consider this some kind of meditation or mindful practice i think so there was a point where you know i was really into just like traditional meditation i studied buddhism in, in university a bit and so i was a meditator and but now i find like just like walking and listening will accomplish that certainly playing music accomplishes that for me just sort of getting rid of a sense of yourself and um sort of watching perceptions come and go. Yeah, that's what listening is for me. Just attention to the present moment is 
kind of what what that means in a sense. And uh, yeah, listening can accomplish that for sure. Meditating itself, you're you're focusing on something like your breath, just perception, and, and you know, sound can do that for you as well. As far as like a focus that's external to your inner dialogue, and so I think music's really good for that. Music and sound, nature sounds. For some months now, I've been wondering how much of our everyday sonorous experience also has to do with our inner monologues. I have a lot, at least. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but it's... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a sound world inside my head on top of the exterior sound around. Sometimes it feels a little bit like noise pollution, but... Um, I'm not very good at maintaining a more like classical, consistent practice of meditation, but I'm curious about how sound artists also perceive this aspect of our own minds. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we torture ourselves with these inner conversations. And uh, I mean, that's what meditation is so good for. You start to notice it, you know, because... When you don't meditate, it you just think that's how life is. You're just like constantly bombarding yourself with these like nattering conversations and in your head. But when you meditate, you realize that this is all just sort of unnecessary in, in a way, right? Like we can get to like I, I it's hard to describe. I, I'm not good at articulating mindfulness or any of that, but uh, I know I like to sort of quiet things down in my head. And so I'm always trying to do that one way or another, whether it's meditating or listening to sound or uh, playing music, you know, it's all about sort of quieting those voices down in my head. Performing for me is, um, it's a very intense experience, you know, and I haven't been doing it as much as I used to because I, I'm getting older and uh, I find it very taxing. I sometimes don't sleep for a number of days before I perform. Um, if it's music, it can be very physical. Like um, the music I play, is I hyperventilate a lot. I cut my face up a lot. I was kind of known for like bleeding a lot when I played. When I was younger, I've kind of not doing that as much. But yeah, just this super intense thing that you prepare for and prepare for and then you do it. And it's it's a really great experience. I love it, but, it, but it's it's intense. And it's a real emotional release for me to perform. And then I'm kind of wrecked for like a few weeks after. So, you know, I wish I had a more sustainable sort of performance routine, but it, it never has been for me. Like it's always been really intense and, and challenging, but also like that challenge yields a, a pretty big reward for me as well. I, I really enjoy it. It's a special thing to do. But field recording is, um, yeah, it's the opposite in a lot of ways. It's, you know, it's very calming. I mean, you're sitting there listening to the ocean, like, in a beautiful place. And, 
yeah, it's like probably the most mentally healthy thing that I do, you know, like it just, I, f- I feel great when I'm done. When I'm analyzing all these sort of disciplines I have, the things I'm involved with, like, I often think, oh, I wish I could just feel record all the time because it makes me feel so good, you know? <laughs> it's not like a big emotional roller coaster. It's mindfulness is a part of it. Yeah, just connecting with nature, I think, is the best thing a person can do. So, yeah, it's kind of the opposite of performing for me in a way, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, specifically your case, not only derived from what I listen on your live performances, but also what I've read, particularly in this essay that you wrote called Trauma of My Mouth. I was quite impressed with the physicality of your performance. Yeah, It is. I mean, for acting, I don't act a lot. The last thing I did, I was in this show, The Sinner, and I was this like kind of bad guy. And so I just, I just didn't sleep for like three or four days before the performance. And I knew that that would just channel itself into the performance, but it was just like hell, you know, <laughs> it was just, uh, but, and like, you know, what? And, and most of my live performances now have been like going away. So I, I went to Italy this year to play and, and I did the thing in Toronto and, And when I travel, I don't sleep well and or at all sometimes. And But all of that does like work its way into the performance. And I'm very aware of that. And I wonder sometimes, you know, if I felt great and I slept well, if, you know, if the show would be any good at all. <laughs> but I don't know if it's worth, you know, if it's, I don't know if that's like a healthy way to approach performing, but it's kind of how it's always worked mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I can understand to some level how this can be a struggle because Generally, I guess it's very healthy to keep good and consistent sleeping schedules and enough rest. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of people, especially in the art field, that we know that uh, sometimes lack of sleep kind of triggers something very interesting in some corner of our minds. And listening to your records where you were playing live and later on reading this essay, I was thinking, wow, this is really a embodied practice because it feels so close to a visceral experience. But then you say that you feel disembodied. And I think it makes sense. And at the same time, is contradictory. Yeah. You know? When I'm playing, I do feel disembodied for sure. Like, it's just sort of the, the sound and I'm not... I'm not even there. Everything's improvised, so I, I don't have anything to remember. Like, I never know what the next utterance is going to be. So it, it is totally a flow state. And I, I enjoy that. I think it's really special for me to do that. But it takes a lot to get there, you know. But yeah, as I get older and I turn into like an old senior citizen, then if I can just sit by the ocean with headphones on and my recorder, like, yeah, it's very idyllic. It's kind of what I'm, what I'm aiming for, <laughs> for my uh, my old age, you know. What are some of your favorite field recording works, both from you and from other people? Yeah, well, for me, I, I do like my ocean recordings a lot. That was when I when I started, uh, you know, it's it's dumb, but I got some gear that really changed things for me. You know, I, I got like a Mix Pre 3 and some, some nice lavalier microphones. And so I was just going out like every week and recording the ocean. And it was just a beautiful couple of years when I was doing that. The Bear Lake ice recordings, that's probably my favorite just because it, I really like the sounds and 
And it was the, the timing of it was really special. You know, I was like, I'd be hiking and I'd start hearing these noises. And then eventually I figured out what was happening and, and then got there the perfect day when the, the lake was melting in a really uh, melodious way and I, and I was able to record it. And uh, it was sort of, the pandemic was maybe, felt like it was kind of ending at that time too. And so the sound of the, the lake melting and sort of the, the culture at the time, it all just went together in my head in a big way. As far as recordings, like I've listened to a lot of field recordings. It's like I don't have the best memory. I, I kind of went through some of the stuff I've listened to. Over the weekend, I was listening to like stuff that was sort of on my playlist over the years. And, and uh, I think Chris Watson's stuff is was a pretty big influence for me. When I started just recording Nature Without Music, his, his album um, Stepping Into the Dark, it's just, he talks about, I don't know, like places having a certain like spiritual essence, something beyond sort of the physical and how he, the album's about sort of capturing that tone in these various places. And I think they're like places from around the world. And I just listened to it again this weekend and it's just a brilliant record. You know, a lot of birds, um, his recordings are really warm. And uh, yeah, he was kind of an inspiration when I got started. The first nature recording I, that I had was a record, The Sound of the Humpback Whale record. Have you, have you heard of that? I, I listened to it this weekend. Yeah, I listened to it this weekend for probably the first time in 20 years. And uh, it was so good. And like as a sort of vocalist, like, man, whales, they can really sing. You know, this, it's quite an incredible record, actually. And then recently, like, two of your albums are like on my list in the last few years of stuff that I really liked. Lawrence English, Recordings from the Zone. I relate it to it a lot. It's like pretty intense and like, you know, it kind of captures like this post-apocalyptic. I think it was recorded after wildfires in Australia. And uh, I can relate to the sort of intensity of his recordings. Um, yeah, I could go on. There's a, there's a few others like uh, Hildegard uh, Westerkamp, Canadian artist. Her Kitts Beach recording was one that I really liked. Um, yeah, those are, those are some of the ones that kind of affected me. There was a lot of stuff that had like music and field recording together. Those were kind of how I got into it originally. But yeah, it's been interesting to discover field recorders over the years. And I've heard a lot of great stuff on Earth FM as well. Um, it's, a, it's a great project that you have, you have going there. Thank you. For sure. Yeah, thank you very much. And also thank you for chatting and for sharing so much of your, of your practice and your process. No, I really appreciate it. This was fun. It's nice to reflect on um, your practice. <laughs> I don't get to talk about it a lot. I, I talk about it in my own head. Yeah, so I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. It's nice someone's out there championing field recording, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you feel pretty obscure when you're out there just uh, recording by yourself and who's going to listen to this, <laughs> you know? So it's nice to find a bit of a community. just listen to a conversation with Darcy Spidel. You can find more information about Darcy in his website www.darcyspidel.com as well as all the references we talked about in the episode's notes.
Earth FM is a non-profit repository of hundreds of immersive soundscapes from around the world recorded by the best artists. If you resonate with our mission, please consider supporting us by becoming a member or donating on www.earth.fm. Join us in the effort of awakening together to the wonders and preciousness of Mother Earth.